Hello and welcome to On the Same Wavelength, where we explore how we can make a better world for people living with complex mental health issues. I'm your host, Elise, and in this episode, we're focusing on media. Maybe you're a journalist or reporter, or a writer or producer, or a person who reads the news, watches TV, catches a movie or reads books. We're constantly surrounded by media. It's pretty inescapable. In previous episodes, I mentioned the National Stigma Report Card, a large study of nearly 2,000 Australians who have lived experience of complex mental health issues. This study found that three-quarters of participants experienced some level of stigma or discrimination when they engaged with mass media over the last 12 months. So why is stigma so common in the media? What does this actually look like? And how can we make things better? In this episode, we'll be meeting Sandy, who will be sharing her lived experience story. I also chat with Dr Elizabeth Payton from EveryMind about how we can make media reporting more responsible and empathetic. Just a quick note that this episode touches on topics including schizophrenia and psychosis, violence and psychiatric mistreatment. And like all our episodes, we talk about stigma and discrimination. So please only listen today if it feels right for you. Well, my name's Sandy and I live out in the Yarra Valley with two women, three cats, two dogs, nine chooks, birds, wombats, kangaroos and nature. Sandy's a peer ambassador at SANE. She's in her 60s and describes her home out on four acres as her asylum in the true sense of the word, a place of peace and refuge. She plays hockey as goalkeeper and loves it. She also plays violin and viola and loves the energy of playing to a live audience. She's also a writer and a poet. I started documenting my madness in poetry and in 1993, after 17 years of being in a complete wilderness where I didn't do much, where I lie, would lay, lie in bed all day, you know, get up late, mooch around the house with the dog, not doing much at all, really being quite unwell and quite dysfunctional. But I, I started writing poetry and I started documenting my madness in poetry. Sandy was diagnosed with schizophrenia back in the 1980s. She acknowledges that there are some controversies around the diagnosis of schizophrenia, what it means, the symptoms and its causes. But for her, this term fits her experiences. Like some people in the advocacy space, she also chooses to use words like madness to describe her experiences, reclaiming terms that have historically been used in a negative way to describe people with lived experience. The word schizophrenia explained a lot to me, but what I read sort of described what I was doing and how I was feeling and how I was. It sort of matched my behaviour and my, my, my unravelling thought pattern. So I sort of used the word schizophrenia, which is a medical model word, but I do use it because I think it describes me and what I feel as has happened to me over these last 46 years. I can't describe it any other way. She described her experience of schizophrenia to me. My schizophrenia uh, has been about voices in my head that nobody else can hear, uh, visual hallucinations that um, I've had uh, briefly over the years, and delusional content, believing extraordinary things that are not based in reality and have no reality to them. In the first few years, I had lots of hospitalisations to La Rundle Psychiatric Hospital. I had seven admissions in between 1978 and 91. Over the years, I think... It's, it's, it's ebbed and flowed. There have been intense times where the voices have been there 24-7 and it's just been horrendous and I've been deluded and you know, quite out, out of touch with reality. 
But then over the years, it's, it's ebbed and flowed. And now, now I have my voices in bed at night time often, but during the day they're okay. It's really been a battle. It's been an, an ongoing battle um, of vigilance and care and trying to stay, try, trying to stay as well as I can. And I haven't always succeeded. My last hospitalisation was two thousand and nine, so that's that's only what 14, fifteen years ago or something. But um, I just feel as though I'm in a better space now. I asked Sandy about how she supports her mental health and well-being these days, and she spoke about Team Sandy, her friends, her hockey team and music groups, her animals, and her psychologist and psychiatrist. All these little um, pillars that are part of Team Sandy really help keep me in the world. And you have to curate your team. You can't just have a team and leave it. It's like a garden. You've got to curate your garden. You've got to curate your team. So I look after my team and I make sure that, you know, it, it, all the all the pieces are there and they're going to stay there for as long as I can have them stay there to, to keep me well. And I, I just feel very lucky and privileged and I celebrate my team every day because without it, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this. So here's a question. When you think of a person with schizophrenia, what images come to mind? Is it someone like Sandy, a poet and writer playing violin surrounded by animals? Is this the sort of person who you see in the media when the media talks about schizophrenia? I'm going to guess no, probably not. I mean, let's cut to the chase. It's pretty appalling. It just frustrates me that we 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 are endlessly demonised as unreliable and dangerous. And I just, you know, when I stand before an audience, I have to say, when I say I have schizophrenia, I have to quickly say, and I'm not a monster. Because I think people think that people with schizophrenia are monsters. We're either going to morph from Dr. Jekyll, from Mr. Um, yeah, from, we're either going to morph from Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde, or we're going to become serial, serial mass murderers. How many times have you seen a crime drama or a psychological thriller or even a horror movie where the villainous character is given a diagnosis of schizophrenia, psychosis, or their actions are attributed to their mental health in some other way? Like shows like Criminal Minds on TV, NCIS, they all have psychotic killers at some stage in their, in their show. Uh, it just drives me bananas because it's a really lazy trope to use. It's lazy writing, lazy filming and lazy storytelling to just go down the, the line that the person who's a serial killer has is, is psychotic. But uh, it's, just, it's just so frustrating. Um, but this is, this is going back, you know, this is Hollywood's been doing this forever. Uh, and Hollywood can't help itself. You know, it has to have a sensationalist, some, some something sensational to talk about. But, you know... Boring isn't boring is too humdrum for Hollywood. So that's the status of fiction media. But this is also a huge issue in news media, where violence is often linked with mental health issues. They love a headline, schizophrenic murders mother. They, they love that headline. We see this so often in the news. Yet research has found that more than 90% of people experiencing complex mental health issues, including those with schizophrenia, do not commit violent crimes. Most violence is committed by people who do not experience mental health issues. And, on average, people with lived experience are much more likely to be survivors of violent crime than they are to be perpetrators. Sandy also highlighted that negative representations still happen in news media even when the writers have good intentions and are actually trying to make a difference. For example, when they want to talk about gaps in the mental health system. So... 
You know, what I've found lately in the most recent in, in, incarnation of, of media reporting on schizophrenia is that when they want to highlight the failings of the mental health system, which we've just had a Royal Commission into, what they what they do is they use someone with schizophrenia doing an, an inappropriate public discretion, indiscretion to highlight the failings of the system because these people aren't getting treated. And that's been the narrative for the last couple of years, unfortunately, because we have to highlight how bad the system is because it isn't treating people properly. But we, we mustn't use people with schizophrenia as the lightning rod to highlight the deficiencies. And that's what they're doing. So why does this keep being such a dominant story? Sandy believes it's at least partly due to the ongoing general stigma associated with schizophrenia. We are now talking about depression and anxiety more than we've ever talked about them before. But the trouble is we're not talking about schizophrenia now in any positive way. And in fact, in the community's mind, no other mental health conditions exist except depression and anxiety because that's, that's all they hear about. And when they hear about schizophrenia, it's only in the negative. That's frustrating. I asked Sandy about how the ongoing negative media makes her feel. Angry. Because I've got to keep saying I'm not a monster. I've got to keep reassuring people I'm not going to be an axe murderer or murder their kids or anything. So it's an, it's an ongoing, um, never-ending work in progress that you have to keep reassuring people that you're, you're, a, you're a nice person and you're reliable and you're you know, kind and you know, loving. But they don't seem to get it. The, the headline sticks in their mind and the sentiment sticks in their mind. And they've already, and the community already has you know, some ambivalent attitudes towards people with mental illness anyway. And so all it does is just reinforce their ambivalence and then, and then worse, create their, their hatred towards us and their fear towards us. It's, and then it just generates the next headline and that generates the next headline. And, and what changes? Not much. We know that this is a big issue and it's complicated. I wanted to learn more about work going on to identify and address negative media relating to people living with complex mental health issues like schizophrenia. So I reached out to an organisation, Everymind, to learn more. I'm Elizabeth Payton. Uh, I work at Everymind, um, which is based here on a Wabakal country in Newcastle, in New South Wales. And I'm the project lead for the Mindframe program. Every Mind has been around for about 30 years and is dedicated to the prevention of mental ill health and suicide. This includes the MindFrame program, which is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health. MindFrame is a national suicide prevention and stigma reduction program, um, specifically supporting safe media reporting and other types of public communication about suicide, mental ill health and alcohol and other drugs. Since then, a number of guidelines have been written to support media professionals when it comes to writing about not just suicide, but also mental health issues, alcohol and other drug use, and severe mental health issues in the context of violence and crime. They also have guidelines for writers of fiction, guidelines for stage and screen. We provide training and real-time advice to media as well as any other professional communicators who might be talking about these issues, about suicide, mental ill health or alcohol and other drugs. So we help to make sure that the principles behind our guidelines are also embedded in things like editorial standards, in policies and regulations as well. There's a lot of information available in the guidelines. One of the most important considerations is language use, which can contribute towards stigma, as well as convey inaccurate information. 
For news media, that means avoiding stigmatising language as much as possible and being careful with how things are framed. A lot of the everyday colloquial language that we use around mental ill health can be stigmatising. So our language guidelines tend to focus on those, particularly using the accurate terms instead of the jokey version. Um, For example, instead of saying psycho or schizo, using a person experiencing psychosis or a diagnosis of schizophrenia instead of happy pills using terms like antidepressants. It's also important not to rely on common stereotypes, for instance, that only a particular type of person will have a diagnosis or that there's a particular look. So people across all genders, ages and cultures, for instance, can experience issues with alcohol or other drugs. There are a specific set of guidelines around violence and crime. Court reporting and stories on violence and crime are legitimate news items. Um, But what can be an issue here is that if we only ever see news items on specific mental illnesses like schizophrenia or psychosis, for example, in the context of violence and crime, then that can have an impact on our community's attitudes towards people who live with those, those diagnoses. So ideally, we would see more stories about people with lived experiences of these kinds of mental illnesses outside of this context. But where there is reporting on violence and crime, though, we are recommending considering the full range of factors that might have led to a violent incident and avoid presenting mental illness as the only cause. Um, It's also important to be accurate and to rely on authoritative sources uh, rather than speculation. Um, Things like speculation and assumptions can be quite harmful. Meanwhile, Mindframe's fiction guidelines are a little bit different than those for news and information media. Generally speaking, the Mindframe guidelines for stage and screen are less strict, but they aim to get the writer or producer to reflect on the purpose and the impact of the mental illness and suicide-related content that they're creating. So why are they including mental illness or suicide? Are there opportunities to break down stigma or to reduce harm? does that that portrayal perpetuate myths or stereotypes? So really getting them to reflect on all of those things. Is it just to heighten drama or is there, you know, a deeper purpose um, for including um, issues like mental illness? And if you want to check out the full guidelines, they are publicly available on the Mindframe website. We'll put a link in the notes. Plus, listeners can get involved in other ways too. If you come across media that you believe is stigmatising or unfair, you can reach out to the publication if you feel comfortable. In Australia, the media generally want to do the right thing and journalists and media professionals that we work with are very receptive. If you feel like it's a serious breach of the guidelines, um, you can actually report them through an agency like the Australian Press Council um, or the Australian Communications Media Authority. You could also report it to Stigma Watch. Um, Mindframe has partnered with SANE Australia to fund the Stigma Watch program, which responds to community concerns about stigmatising or harmful content in the media. Despite work going on to improve media representation, it remains a big issue. I asked Sandy if she felt that things had gotten better over the years overall. No, I don't think it has. While schizophrenia itself remains stigmatised, the media will reflect public attitudes, as well as reinforcing them. Sandy would like to see more accurate representation of people living with schizophrenia. 
and on occasion, when the news media need to report on crime or violence where schizophrenia might be relevant, this can still be done responsibly. Well, to not sensationalise the person's actions for a start and to, if they're going to write about them, look into the case more closely and, and not not use lazy lazy journalism and lazy tropes and lazy ideas and stereotypical ideas, to look beyond the stereotype and and maybe see there's a real person who they're, who they're writing about and that real person, for what, what they say about that person has consequences. Not for them in terms of their treatment and them in terms of the, the way that people people perceive them. So to go beyond the stereotype, look look a bit more deeply and to be more empathetic and, and not just rattle off a story that's sensationalist that's going to generate a, a headline that's going to sell papers. She would love to see more stories with someone who's just, well, living an average life. So Hollywood has two things. It either romanticises people with schizophrenia and mental illness that the mad genius, um, or they demonises, and they can't get a, they can't, can't seem to get a, a middle ground where they have someone who's got schizophrenia just being ordinary, and just doing ordinary things. We don't all murder our mothers. Um, we, I'm not a mother murderer. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not a mother murderer. But you know, there's there's more to the person's story than just the final action. But also for journalists to uh, to look at other people with schizophrenia who don't do that who live lives that are productive and, you know, or even people who live a a difficult life, but, you know, they're heroes. People that get out of bed every day who have schizophrenia, get out of bed every day, go to the shop, go to to their letterbox, who interact with their friends, who do the best they can to, 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 to be the best person they can under the circumstances, look at them, look at their stories. But, you know, they're the heroes because they're living authentic lives um, in spite of the condition they're living with and in spite of the stings and arrows that they're, 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 they're saddled with and in spite of the difficulties that they've got to endure and in spite of the stigma they experience every day from the people around them. It's people like Sandy who are contributing to better representation and having a public voice, whether it's through advocacy events, writing or speaking to the media themselves to change the narrative. I reckon I started in the late 1980s as, as a, an advocate, telling our stories. I was among the first wave of consumers who were out speaking about our, our lives publicly. Yeah, the, the thing that sort of took away my my life and career and everything that I might have had has actually given me a public life, which is really ironic, and books, which is, again, ironic. So, you know, maybe I've, I've, I've turned something bad into, into something good. And at the time of recording, Sandy has had nine volumes of poetry published, plus a memoir, and a book about La Rundle Psychiatric Hospital, co-authored with Margaret Leggett. By 1993, after 17 years of, in, as I said, in a wilderness, I had enough for a collection. And so Palms from the Madhouse, my first book, was published. And really, overnight, that changed my life because I went from Sandy schizophrenia to Sandy poet. And... That new label, more positive label, was transformative for me because my life changed overnight from from no hope, no purpose, no meaning to having hope, purpose and meaning and it was in my writing. So that's what I do. I'm a writer, sort of an accidental writer, but that's what I do. So now you've met Sandy. At the start of the episode, I asked you to reflect on a question. When you think of a person with schizophrenia, what images come to mind? Here's what Sandy would like you to take away from her story. I'm Sandy and I 
play music and I play sport and I have friends and I have animals that I, that I love and um, I'm not a monster, but I have schizophrenia and it's, it's a tough gig. The media will not change overnight, but next time you read a headline or watch a movie which leans into stereotypes about people living with mental health issues, maybe take a moment to reflect on whether or not that reflects reality or if there's more to the story. Don't be seduced by headlines that just are lazy and sensationalist about a person. On the Same Wavelength is a collaboration between the University of Melbourne School of Psychological Sciences and SANE, Australia's leading national mental health organisation for people with complex mental health needs, with the support of the Paul Ramsey Foundation. It is hosted by me, Elise Carrot, and edited by Chris Hatsis. Special thanks to SANE Peer Ambassador Sandy and Dr Elizabeth Payton for their contributions to this episode. If you're interested in learning more about the Mindframe Guidelines and SANE's Stigma Watch program, I've included links in the show notes. This podcast was recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and we wish to pay respects to Elders past and present and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners. If this podcast has brought up any challenging feelings for you, please consider reaching out to SANE's free counselling support via 1-800-187-263 or Lifeline via 13 11 14.